Welcome to another episode of the Creative on Purpose broadcast, conversations about finding fulfillment through more meaningful work. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Creative on Purpose, available on Amazon, or visit BeCreativeOnPurpose.com to get started with free chapters. Let's meet today's guest. Caitlin Katie, welcome to the broadcast. Please introduce yourself and share a project you're currently working on or excited about. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Thank you for having me, Scott. And um, I am a business owner and a mother of three and a writer. And the project that I'm working on that I'm most excited about is my forthcoming book, Heavily Meditated, which is a how-to guide to meditation for people who don't want to be bored to tears or be magic wanded into a monk. So it's sort of a little bit of an irreverent take on um, meditation that breaks it down into bite-sized pieces to help get people over the hurdle and, and into a meditation practice that can make a really big difference in their lives. Excellent. Just so everybody knows, Caitlin and I are old friends from the marketing seminar. We were in session four together. And um, so, Caitlin, let's first start with just talking about how did you get started in this project that you're developing now, Heavily Meditated, which, by the way, is one of the most brilliant branding uh, names I've ever heard. (laughs) Thank you. Um, My journey into this began... um, I was in a business partnership with a dear friend of mine, Brianne, who created a personal training method called Wabi Sabi Well, and it was about embracing imperfection and finding the beauty in imperfection. And so we collaborated on that for a few years, and um, that's that was sort of a reintroduction into writing for me because I um, I've always been a writer. My dad's a writer, and it's been a through line in my in my life, but. Um, I really found my way back to it in a creative aspect um, through the work that we did in Wabi Sabi Well. And yeah, I I just, I felt like um, for me, meditation was a huge gift um, in healing my body and my mind. So I um, had experienced eating disorders and depression um, in my late teens and early twenties. And then also had, a series of immune challenges, including Lyme disease and dengue fever and mononucleosis. So I was um, really invested in healing and it took me about 10 years because I had a chronic diagnosis of Lyme disease and I was really invested in in trying to resolve that and I I did successfully. But the last piece of the puzzle for me was really um, my mental state and um, being highly stressed, being really ambitious, um, overworking and having really high levels of anxiety. And that was something that I couldn't fix through diet or, or, you know, supplementation or healing modalities. So meditation was kind of that last like barrier for me. And, um, once I kind of figured out how to do it and, and how to make it a part of my daily life, I've just become very passionate about helping other people do the same because I think it's just incredibly transformative and um, also feels very inaccessible to most people because it seems very esoteric and that, you know, there's so many misconceptions about it. So I'm by no means an expert, but I'm just a gal who manages to meditate every day and, and really experiences a lot of benefits. So, yeah. 
Excellent. Well, so I just learned a bunch of new things about you, even though we spent several months together in the marketing seminar. Um, my wife and my youngest son, both, we live in Southwestern Virginia, where Lyme's disease is a real uh, problem. And they both have had um, run-ins with Lyme disease. My wife almost didn't get hers caught, and my son fortunately did early. So I, I would love to touch on that a little bit. Um, but before we do that, you you talked about the the misconceptions and the barriers that people come rub up against when they're considering meditation. So meditation is there's Western meditation tra- traditions going back to the Greco-Roman period. There's Eastern uh, traditions going much further back. Maybe just share with our listeners what what is meditation and maybe also what some of those barriers you think that there are and, and how you overcame them to develop your own practice? Hmm. Um, well, I'm sure that there's as many different meditations, meditation definitions as there are meditators. Um, but for me, the most simple, easy to understand definition would be returning your attention to a focal point. Um, and so that focal point could be, like you said, there's a diversity of different traditions. So the focal point could be sound, um, in terms of chanting or listening to something. It could be a mantra, or it could be like binaural beats, which impact the, the brainwaves. Um, or it could be the breath, um, and focusing on either the sensation of the breath or the sound of the breath or, um, using that different different breath, controlling the breath to elicit a physiological response. Um, Or it could be a sensation, um, focusing on a sensation. So there's a lot of like body scanning meditations and um, things like that. So that's not a comprehensive list, but I do, you know, theoretically, it's just returning your attention to a point of focus. And I think some of the biggest misconceptions are that um, it's, it has to be a spiritual practice, which it can be, but it doesn't have to be, um, that you have to be, uh, able to stop your mind from thinking, which is, I think the biggest thing is people think, oh, I'm not good at meditation. I can't stop myself from thinking you're not special in that way is my answer to that. That's like a human condition. And that's, that's totally normal and totally fine. Um, and then a time is probably the other biggest misconception is that to experience a benefit, you need to be doing it for 60 minutes every day or twice a day. Um, and I, while I think that that's a great goal to aspire to for, for some people, I don't think that that's achievable for a lot of people and it becomes a really big barrier to entry. Um, so those are probably the, the biggest misconceptions that I hear about is just like, I don't know what it is. Am I supposed, I can't stop thinking and I don't have the time. Um, and I think that for the value that you can get from meditation, it's worth an investment of, you know, it could be five minutes, it could be 15 minutes, it doesn't have to be a lot of time. And there's a lot of people out there who appear to be a lot busier than most of us, like Oprah, um, or, you know, like Steven Spielberg, or people like that, who seem to have a pretty full plate, but they manage to weave it in. So, um, yeah, I think it really comes down to just committing to it. That's the that's the hurdle with, with time, I think, is, is seeing the value in it and understanding why you're doing it from a personal perspective. Um, and I find that's really helpful for people. So I, my wife and I have both 
have a, have had a long time interest in Eastern philosophy and meditation. Um, she is she is a long time meditator. Sits still and and listens to her whatever meditation app she uses. And um, I guess it's a lot about returning to the breath. And I tried so hard since my teens to be one of those meditators, and I could never do it that way. And when I, be, when I kind of returned to my longtime love of Stoic philosophy, I, I developed a practice that was more in line with um, that kind of Western philosophical tradition. And for me, it seemed that any meditation practice, you, you talked about coming, having a focal point, but it's, would it be fair to say that a, a meditation practice is about bringing you back to the here and now? as opposed to being attached to a thought or to the future or regret about the past or whatever it is. Yeah. I think it's about um, experiencing presence and also experiencing um, your vastness, right? Like an analogy I really enjoy is um, that, you know, having a sky-like mind and that these thoughts or feelings or sensations that we experience are just clouds passing through. And that, you know, when you begin to understand that you're the sky, not the cloud, you begin to see that separation between yourself and the content of your Mm -hmm. mind, which is not you. Um, And I also think that that that's sort of the slipstream and the trapdoor, um, to creativity for me uh, is understanding that I'm connected to something bigger. Obviously I'm one of the people that finds meditation to be quite a spiritual practice. Um, and for me, it's that it's, it's experiencing the vastness of myself. And also um, what I, I guess what I mean by that is that I'm connected to something that's much bigger than I am and um, that I'm a drop in an ocean. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that why that's such a powerful I'm sort of segueing into creativity, but um, I think it's relevant to the audience. Um, is that when you start to experience yourself that way and you start to experience, you know, consciousness rather than just the thinking mind, which like you said, is sort of projecting and rehearsing and replaying things and um, worrying about things that may or may not happen in the future. When we can kind of step back from that, um, that's when we can, I think, really invite and inspiration and I really love the concept of um I'm sure you've read Elizabeth Gilbert's book Mm -hmm. Magic Mm -hmm. that idea that we're sort of courting um our genius right and that we aren't we aren't a genius but that we have this sort of other otherness that we can become a channel for and I really subscribe to that so I think for medicine for me meditation is hands down the most powerful practice for sort of inviting and invoking creativity and inspiration. Well, and that, that idea of returning to the here and now and being present and in the moment that we're in is such a profound tool for creatives in general. And um, I love the way, so one of the things, so, so much of what I was seeking in the Eastern meditation practice, I found in the, the, Hellenistic Stoic tradition, the idea, and you you touched on this this idea of interconnectedness of being part 
of something much bigger than yourself. And Stoicism does such a great job of contextualizing the self and and encouraging you to zoom out and to see that you are not only um, connected to yourself, but you're connected to your family and friends, your neighbors, even your rivals and enemies, and the entirety of, of, of humankind. Cosmopolitanism is a big part of Stoic philosophy, but it, it encourages you to zoom out to into the cosmos and so that you are truly, that you see that you're connected to, to the, the, you could call it the divine or providence or whatever you want to call it, but you are part of this, uh, the entirety of, of being of existence. And when you put yourself in this place where you are grounding yourself and being present, you, you're welcoming what you were just kind of alluding to the muse or inspiration or the genius or whatever you want to call it to actually start to work through you. That genius is not come something that comes from inside out, but it's something that comes from outside in and then, then you become the vessel or the communicator for whatever it is that the, the, the genius wants to communicate. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And that's how I experience it as a writer. That's, I sometimes read things that I wrote and I'm like, I like that because it feels so familiar and yet totally like unfamiliar in another way. Um, and then, you know, my, uh, my teacher, um, I, I study yoga and meditation and my teacher, yoga Rupa Rod Stryker says, you know, about, about awakening Kundalini energy, um, he says that like the Kundalini isn't asleep, we are. And I think that we can apply that same perspective to inspiration and creativity is that it's always there and there's no shortage of it. It's in total abundance. And I think sometimes as creatives, we can get a little bit, uh, in, in a place of lack and like, oh, I wrote something amazing, but what next? What's going to come next? And it can be this sort of restrictive tight place. And I think what we have to realize is that if we're open to it, um, it can all, it's always there and it's just available to us. And we just have to, yeah, sort of um, become, become the channel and make sure that we're open. And there's a lot of different ways, you know, meditation isn't the only way to do it. Sure. Well, one of the things that, 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 what you just said brings to mind is um, one of my favorite quotes, which is from Somerset Mom, who wrote one of my favorite books, The Razor's Edge. And he was asked, do you write when you're inspired or do you write when you're on a schedule? And his answer was, well, I write when I'm inspired. Uh, fortunately, inspiration shows up every morning at nine o'clock. The implication being that he, sh he sat down to do the work at nine o'clock. And so you, you've alluded to this, that it's by establishing a practice, whether it's a meditation practice or a writing practice, a creativity practice of any kind, a practice of gratitude, practice of meditation, practice of yoga, exercise, whatever it is. This idea of, an, of establishing a daily habit, which will enable, so, so that when inspiration, the muse or whatever it is comes, it sees or she sees that you're ready and that it's that it's time to go go to work um yeah. and i love what you said about the idea of writing something and then saying like 
where does that come from? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's nice to say, or maybe it's, it's, there's a sense of humility when we say, oh, well, I, I guess the muse decided to come visit me today and this is what happened. But I think it's, it's also just developing that muscle. If you sit down to write every day, you will become a better writer and ideas will come to you quicker and you will become a more efficient and effective communicator. And things will just happen as they should that, you know, progress is made by working on herself daily, as Epictetus says. So I love um, that you brought that into it. And then, so what I want to touch on now is because you brought up these things that, that you and I have, that I never knew about you and that we haven't discussed, but meditation and this presence and mindfulness practice has helped you overcome a lot of physical obstacles. And one of the things that we like to, we love I think to, to believe that we're in control of more than we're actually in control of. Um, the Stokes would say that we only really control our perceptions and what we decide to do next. Um, and that we're not even really in control of our own bodies, that our bodies are prone to aging and disease and all these things. Um, how, so you, you talked about um, Lyme's disease, eating disorders, some other uh, Crohn's disease, and meditation has helped you with this. So speak a little bit more to, to what the benefits are of a presence mindfulness practice towards t- to overcoming physical uh, obstacles within our bodies. Yeah. Um, well, my perspective might sort of be um, at odds with the stoic perspective in terms of, yes, I believe there are a lot of things that are out of our control and that we spend a lot of time worrying about things that are actually outside of our control. But I also believe that you know, we're only beginning to rediscover the impact of our mind on our bodies and um, what an important relationship that is. Um, And I say rediscover because I think that there's a lot of ancient wisdom around that, but now, um, you know, there's science is starting to to support that and to to reinforce those um, theories. So, I, I think for me, um, like a very tangible example would be, so in the case of um, chronic illness, like Lyme disease, I was, my cortisol levels were like off the charts. And I think cortisol gets a bad rap, like it's a necessary hormone in the body, right? It helps us like get up and brush our teeth every day and like show up for our jobs and our families. And it has, it has a purpose, of course. But um, in this world where we're striving for perfectionism and we feel like we need to show up um, in this sort of, you know, the same way every day. And we have this nervous system that really is very reactive. And so our nervous system hasn't really evolved, right? So if there's a bear coming, I'm going to have the same reaction as if there's a deadline coming they're not the same thing. Like a deadline is not life-threatening, right? Despite how it might feel in our bodies. So for me, meditation helped me sort of hack into that and understand um, how to evaluate stress, like what stress to take on and not take on. And then I think in just a physiological sense, um, you know, there's certain breathing techniques that can actually help you bring your parasympathetic nervous system online instead of being constantly in the sympathetic, which is like our fight, flight, freeze mode, right? And so in that 
in that, um, when that is online, we're not going to optimally digest our food. We're not going to be able to heal our bodies. Reproduction is put on the back burner. So all of these things, you know, that I think we're experiencing, experiencing culturally with infertility and, you know, um, all of these sort of um, diseases like where people are experiencing chronic fatigue and any of those kind of things fit this picture of like we are we are acting um, like we're being chased by bears and saber-toothed tigers all day Um, so for me that that you know helping to sort of like shift my nervous system into a more parasympathetic which is rest repair digest reproduce um, was really huge and, and learning to like be in that space. Like I used to be this person that was like, how kind of like, um, alert and like on and fast can I be? Because I worked in sales and I was, you know, very competitive and, um, loved, loved a deadline, loved a challenge, loved to see like numbers move. And I had to shift out of that. And, um, And, you know, learn to live not in this adrenal state all the time of like running from thing to thing, but actually just being, which is really hard. I'm not going to lie. It was really hard, you know, and it's still, it's something that I'm still, it's still a practice for me. Um, And I think the underlying, you know, themes that show up when you start to shift into that is it's like, it's really uncomfortable for a lot of us, right? Because we start to see these belief systems or these fears about ourselves and our self-worth um, showing up and, and that we only feel like we're of value if we're producing something or pleasing people or achieving something. And that is highly addictive. It's sort of encouraged in our culture, I think, right? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the, the foundational pr- principles of stoicism is it, it, it's it, Stoicism says that, you know, the things that define us as human being beings are our capacity for reason and our social nature. And so I don't think there's anything necessarily that would be out of alignment with stoic philosophy in terms of cultivating your rational capacity, developing your, your reason. And um, the, the, the distinction that's often missed in Stoicism is, you know, the Stoics say, well, some things are within our control and others are not. What's within our control is our perception and what we choose to do next. And basically everything else is out of control, which is, you could argue that that is ultimately true. But on that spectrum, there's this whole long gray area of all the things that are within our influence. So yes, we can't control every aspect of our lives. We can't control our bodies ultimately, but we can certainly be good stewards of our mind. We can be good stewards of our body. We can be good stewards of our work. We can cultivate our craft and practice, maintain our tools, train ourselves. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we can do to become, to influence a result that we seek. And what I I'm hearing from what you said about a meditation practice that's very similar to Stoic philosophy is that both are saying that the process and being present and the process is what's really important because that's where you are. That's where you have influence. That's where 
things can change. And the idea of both approaches is the idea that attachment is a path to suffering. That if you are focused on results, if you are focused on the future, if you are focused on the opinions of others and the material trappings of success, you're not, that's just not a path to happiness. Because even if that comes your way, it will never be enough. Because the only, if that's your source of happiness, the only way to stay happy is to. <laughs> yeah keep keep going and and i heard that and what you were saying about sales and being you know competitive and liking deadlines and i've definitely been that that kind of person too that um loves the challenge and loves to hit numbers and loves to check the metrics and all that um and both practices both the one that you described for us and the one that um i find solace in and so philosophy is about finding happiness, what the Stoics would call eudaimonia, a, the, a sense of flourishing in the here and now, despite whatever obstacles, misfortunes, or uh, you know challenges that you might face. Yeah, well, and I, I love the idea of, um, there's a couple of sort of uh, catchphrases that I refer to, one being, um, the primary practice is showing up for the practice, right? So the primary, like you mentioned earlier, the primary practice of meditation is actually just showing up to do it. Or the primary practice of being a writer is just sitting down. And it's funny how inspiration just shows up when you do. Like that's, you know, I think that's a really great uh, sort of thing to keep in mind. And then um, also totally agree with you that the process is the point, right? And if we can put more emphasis on, um, honoring the process and surrendering the results, then it, it becomes a much juicier, more positive, more fulfilling experience because, um, you know, I think that again, we're sort of inviting this, this aspect of life that isn't up to us. And um, it's a co-creation, right? Like I'm devoted it's like de be devoted and surrender the results. So you, you show up with devotion to that practice, whatever it is. Um, and it could just be the way that you live your life, right? That you live with intention and, you know, you, you try and um, show up in a particular way. But the outcome of that is not up to you because there's an aspect of life that isn't up to you. And it's a, that's the co-creation. And I think that, you know, that's a little bit um, at odds with, with a results driven hustle, 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 control, control, control kind of mentality, but it's super liberating and, um, and very, I find it to be like creatively kind of a turn on, right? It's like, my work is just to show up and do the work. What happens to the work after that is not up to me completely. Right. So I let it go. And that means that I'm just moving things through me. And, um, and I think that like, as you sort of birth, things I'm speaking creatively now into the world, right? That if I have, let's say a blog post or a book in me, that it's just, it's sort of like, I'm afraid to share because I'm afraid that it's not good enough or that I'm going to be judged or whatever. If I'm withholding it, I'm not, I'm not making space for the next thing to come through a, but also B I'm acting like I know what's best in the bigger picture. And I don't like, I don't know that it wouldn't be super useful for someone just as it is. Right. So 
that's something, another thing I say all the time is like, you know, what are you withholding because you're afraid it's not good enough? And um, I think that's something that a lot of creatives struggle with. It's like, it's not done. It's not good enough yet. I just need one more day to revise it or polish it. And while there is absolutely value in, in craftsmanship and care, um, there's also value in sharing and just getting it out there. So it's interesting that right before we sat down to talk, I was teaching my last guitar lesson with a couple of young ladies that are struggling to um, allow themselves to sing in public and because they feel that they're not ready. And so I asked them, well, when you were um, four months old and desiring to communicate with your mom or dad or your friends, um, did you decide to just keep quiet until you could speak perfectly or did you mumble and stumble and goo goo and gaga your way to or to clarity and that's how we learn to that's how we make progress is we start by doing our very very worst work <laughs> and then it's through the process of iteration and practice and shipping and um getting feedback and and continuing to develop that we finally find our voice and that we're able to communicate in a way that is increasingly effective. So I love that we've touched on this um, last idea of acceptance, that it's our job to do our job, to be a human being, to be a, uh, a, a force for, to, to cultivate ourselves to the best of our ability, to become the best selves that we can be in service to mm-hmm. others and to accept whatever it is that fate decides to give us and that we, we since we can't control the, the, the results that we should just continue to work towards the results by doing the job of a human being, which is to cultivate our craft and, and to, to share. So as we're wrapping up here, Caitlin, um, where can people connect with Heavily Meditated and where do you live in uh, online in terms of social media? Where can people connect with you? Well, thank you. Um, my website is caitlincady.com. So it's C-A-I-T-L-I-N-C-A-D-Y.com. And that's also my handle on Instagram. Um, and yeah, you can sign up to my email list and I send a little inspo email to people in my tribe on Fridays. Um, and the book is forthcoming. So if you best way to stay in the loop on that is to sign up for the email list. And then if, if you're interested in meditation, there are are a lot of um, resources and free offerings on my website, including uh, six different guided meditations that you can stream for free on YouTube um, and a little mini meditation starter kit, um, PDF and MP3 that you can download. So that's, um, that's a great place to start is to dive in, dive in whether you're, you know, interested in just a little bit of inspiration and, um, real talk or if you're interested in meditation both are on offer well i'm really looking forward to the book and it's great to reconnect and i want to thank everybody for tuning in if you're still with us we appreciate your time and attention please connect with caitlin katie at caitlincatie.com and it's always great to hear from you as well at becreativeonpurpose.com now remember the words of epictetus learning that does not lead to action is useless so take what you've learned here Share your best work with those that need it. It really matters. Caitlin, Katie, thanks so much for your generosity and being here and for all the great work that you do. Thank you for having me.
Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're still with us, we really appreciate your time and attention. Please connect with our guests wherever they live online. And it's always good to hear from you at BeCreativeOnPurpose.com. Now, remember the words of Epictetus. Learning that does not lead to action is useless. So go out there and share your best work with those that need it. It really matters.